We're concluding our series on prayer. We've been doing the Lord's Prayer. This is week number six. And I have to tell you, I've learned a lot about prayer through the years, reading books, watching people pray. But this has been a really challenging study for me to find out what is Jesus actually covering when he gave this as a model prayer. And if Jesus is teaching us to pray, I really ought to pay attention to what he's saying more than anybody else. And so we've learned that when he starts off saying, Our Father, which is in heaven, hallowed be your name, that we enter into the presence of our Father, the one who's adopted us into his family. We recognize the fact that there's no one else on this earth who listens to prayers, who's capable of helping us, than our Heavenly Father. And so we recognize it is in his presence that we come when we pray. So it's always important to begin prayer with that, to, to enter into God's presence. Don't demand that God jump to your request. Walk humbly into his presence. He invites you to come in. But it's about him, not about us. It's about him being exalted, being elevated, his name above every other name on this earth. We praise him for his power, his might, his justice, his grace. And then we pray this. This is probably the most challenging part of the whole prayer. Your kingdom come, not mine. Your kingdom come, your will be done, not mine. It's about you, not about me. So Lord, help me to think of the things that you want to have done in this world. Starting with my life. What do you want to do in my life? What would demonstrate your kingship in my own life? And then make it happen. Draw me that direction. That's what I want more than anything else. Honestly, that's a humbling prayer because I think sometimes we really don't want that. We want our will to be done. But you have to surrender that to God. You have to surrender your will to His. And then the power starts to flow. And He gives three petitions after that. The first one is, is for daily bread. And that's just our, our basic needs for life. He says, if you seek first my kingdom, I will make sure that you have all the things you need for life. Not all the things you want, but all the things you need. And then last week, well, last week was beautiful because we really looked at what did Jesus mean when he said, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And I have to say, that shook me up and it shook a lot of you up because there's no wiggle room. We have to forgive. It's not easy, but it's essential. We have to keep those accounts clear. Grace flows to us and grace flows through us. And if we bottle it up, God's not happy. He wants us to love others the same way he, uh, he, he pours out his love into us. And so we have to forgive. And I, I know many people came up and threw their red cards in the trash baskets. I hope you left them there. You didn't bring them back to your, to your life. And I know some people, some people are still rusting through that. Some people were broken last week saying, I've carried this for years. This is the first time I'm confronted with dealing with it. Some people told me I didn't know I had anybody to forgive when I came into church. And then God began to bring those people to mind. So uh, keep those accounts clear. And so then we come to the last part of the prayer, where Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What does that really mean? But what are we really asking God to do? I mean, it seems pretty obvious. God, we don't want you to because in the temptation. So why are we even praying about it? Because we know God doesn't want us to fall into sin. I, I think there's a lot more to that, and I want to unpack that for you today as we look at that scripture. But I'm going to ask you to start right here. Do you want to win the battle with sin in your life? Do you really want to win the battle with sin in your life? Because if you do, this is your prayer. Father, we come before you today. Pray that you would convict us Convict us deeply, Lord, that we would want to be holy, that we would want to walk in your ways and draw upon your power that would give us victory over sin in our lives. And so, Father, we pray. Um, we pray that you move among us, your Holy Spirit would uncover 
our hypocrisy and cover our stubbornness and cover those sins that we keep hidden. And the Lord, that we would lay it all bare before you. In Jesus' name, amen. What makes this real difficult is the fact that that word temptation is the very same word for testing. It's the very same word. In fact, if you look at it in your Bible, some of your Bibles will say in the very in the footnote at the bottom, testing. And some other places in the New Testament where it has the word testing or temptation, you look at the footnote, and it'll be one or the other. And so you have to actually look at the context to figure out what it is that, that we're describing here. And we know this is probably pretty obvious. We pray against temptation, but not testing. We don't pray against testing. We pray against temptation. And they're both closely related. Sometimes they can feel this similarly. And sometimes they can be the very same event. And we see this in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were uh, given all these trees and vegetation to eat everything they wanted. And then God said, there's one thing. One tree there. Don't touch that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat the fruit of that tree because when you do, you'll die. And so Adam and Eve were given a test. Do you trust God? Do you trust that God will give you everything you need? And believe Him. You don't need that tree. You don't need what that tree gives. Trust Him. But along came the slimy serpent. The devil in disguise. And he convinced them that they were missing out on something. He appealed to their, their own desires. That it, was, it would taste good. They look beautiful. They make their life better. And so they ate of that fruit. And, and in so doing, ushered sin and death into the world. And so here we see in that, that situation a, a test and a temptation all, all coming into play. We see it also uh, in Jesus, right after his baptism, where he, he goes out into the wilderness. It's, it's a very similar situation. Jesus is the second Adam. He's going to show that he can defeat temptation. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 4. I could have taken Luke's gospel as well because they're both very similar, but uh, Matthew chapter 4, you're going to see something real interesting here. If you have a heading of chapter 4 in your Bible, what does it say there? So yours says temptation. Mine says Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. Okay, so listen to verse 1, chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Tempted. Well, the footnote says it also means tested. So, so we, we see the title, Jesus tested the wilderness. Now we see him tempted in the wilderness because we're going to see both things play out. And what you have to do is ask in these situations a number of questions to discern the context. Well, number one, who's behind it? Who's acting in here? Who's the spiritual power at work in the situation? And so we see this in this situation in, in the verse 1, the Spirit led Jesus there. But in verse 2 and 3, it says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he, Jesus, was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So now we have Satan, who's called what? The tempter. Not the tester, the tempter. Holy Spirit leads him in the wilderness to be tested. Devil's there. He's going to tempt him. As you can tell, Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days. He is hungry. So this bread sounds really good. Satan exploits temptation um, based on our desires. He doesn't cause every temptation, but he knows our weaknesses, and he knows how to exploit the areas we are weak in. But, but God doesn't tempt. In fact, in James chapter 1, it says very clearly, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, 
nor does he tempt anyone. And so God doesn't tempt us, God tests us. And so sometimes an event could be both a temptation and a test, but, but if, if Satan's involved and God's involved, they're very different <coughs> agendas in what they're trying to accomplish. And sometimes we don't know what's happening in our lives. We, we step back and go, God, is this a test or is this Satan trying to get a hold of me? I don't know which it is. And we have the benefit in Scripture, actually, to, to look at the backdrop of the story, to kind of pull the curtains back. And so we find situations like, for example, we find Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament selling a piece of property and keeping some for themselves, bringing the rest to the church, indicating they're giving the whole amount to the church. And then Peter calls them out. Why has Satan so filled your heart? So we see Satan tempting them to be disobedient. And, but then we find God in the Old Testament testing the Israelites in the wilderness, having them rely on him every day for this stuff called manna. And it was to test them to see if they would trust God. And so we see both at work. And sometimes you and I don't know. We don't have the benefit of the scriptures to know which is it. Where is it coming from? But there's some other questions we can ask to discern that answer. What's the purpose of it? What is it trying to accomplish? If it's from Satan, he wants to destroy your faith. He's wanting to hurt your relationship with God. So when Jesus was tempted to turn the stones into bread, it was, it was an attempt to cause Jesus to use his power for his own benefit, not to trust God in the midst of it. Satan wants us to fall to sin because he wants to drive a wedge between us and God. Sin separates us from God, and if he can cause sin in our lives, even as believers, it breaks fellowship with God. And so Satan knows that, and that's why he tempts us. God is still in control. God and Satan aren't equal parties. God's here, Satan's here, Satan's a created angel. He's under God's authority, but God allows him. God's allowing Satan to roam this earth. To tempt. And Satan is a slick salesman. He, he can't make you sin. But he can sure make sin look really good. You know, I watch um, commercials on TV, and I'm not persuaded by hardly any of them. You know, Nutrisystem, it doesn't interest me. All those medication ones, you know, they, they don't interest me at all. But, but I'm a sucker for Flex Seal. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man, that guy's so good. He gets out that can of Flex Seal, he sprays it over everything, and it never rusts again. Cuts his boat in half, puts down watch tape, and he takes it out on the, on the Everglades. And it rides the water, and then he cocks things and he's putting tape inside the cracked glass in the aquarium and I go that's amazing <laughs> that is the most incredible stuff on earth so I went online the other day says I need to get some of that I mean that guy he's convincing he's going to want to buy it and by the way I just discovered yesterday they make it in colors now <laughs> colored flex tape colored flex seal well, it's $9.99 shipping and handling and $9.99 processing. <laughs> because I'm a cheap skid, I'm not going to buy it. But you know, Satan's like that. He makes things sound so good, so wonderful. You've got to have this thing. But you've got to pull out your wallet and buy it. So he can make sin look so desirable. But he can't make you sin. You cannot blame Satan for any sin in your life. It's you. It's me. It's us choosing to give in to it. In James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it says each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. 
Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So temptation comes along, and you know Satan's, Satan's better than Google. Satan tracks the things you look at, the things you're interested in. He knows how to cater the advertising to you. And so, and so when you see that thing, and, and you just start to linger, ponder it, okay, it's conceiving, it's starting to give birth. And if it sits there too long in your head, it's inevitable, you're going to do it. You're going to act on it. And when you act on it, sin is, sin is born. And if you continue down that path, it will, it will destroy you. All began with temptation. So that's what, what Satan's trying to do, to destroy your faith. But testing comes from God for a different purpose. It's to develop faith. It's to develop it. It's to, it's to refine faith. It's to prove faith. And so you take tests in school to prove you have the knowledge. Prove you've learned. You, you've got to pass a test to get your driver's license. Show that you're qualified. A lot of professions, you know, in, in law professions or real estate or in financial areas, you've got to pass certain tests to show that you're qualified, that you're capable. And, it, and so when you pass the test, you go, wow, I did it, I've made it, I've arrived, I've matured in, in that area of my life. And that's the same thing with, with faith. When it pass the test, it's a very good thing. But the tests don't come in good forms. It comes with disappointment. It comes with waiting. It comes sometimes with stress and pain. And so you go through these difficult times in your life, and you go, man, this is hard. Yeah, it's a test. That's why it's called a test. Not called fun, it's called a test. We don't like tests. So, so we, we face that test, and it could cause you to sin, but that's not the purpose of it. It could cause you to sin. It could cause you to turn away from God. But that's not the intent. The intent is to drive you to your knees. The intent is to cause you to rely on the Lord even more. But the intent is, is to prove that, do you really believe what you say you believe? I mean, you tell everybody you believe this. You told your kids you believe this. You told your Bible study group you believe this. Do you really believe it? Now it's a test. And, 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 it's, and it's not pleasant, it's difficult. But when you get to the other side of it, it can be a very beautiful thing. When you look at Job in the Old Testament, what Job suffered was both a temptation and a test. Satan was allowed by God to come and bring some calamity into his life. And Job lost his family, lost his farm, lost his health. He was all under the permission that God had given and yet, Job's own wife said, you ought to curse God. It was tempting. It had to be very tempting. I'm going to curse God. Because I don't like what I'm going through. And yet, Job, Job trusted that God was still up to something good. So here was Job's perspective. We find it in, in, in chapter 23, verse 10. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. And often, the greatest lessons we'll ever learn in our lives come through periods of testing. Because then we realize, I can really trust God. God has proven himself good and faithful and true. And the golden years of your faith usually follow a period of testing. And so God, God is developing faith through the test, while Satan tries to destroy faith through temptation. And then you can differentiate the two by how we are supposed to respond. 
when, when you look at temptation, you respond in a very different way than you do with testing. For example, I, I just looked up some scriptures regarding uh, some of the temptations we face in life and how to respond to it. And so look at these. We're just going to read from real fast. Flee from sexual immorality, 1 Corinthians. Another one. Flee from idolatry. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but you, man of God, flee from all this. And then we find in 2 Timothy 2.22, flee the evil desires of you. You catch a common word. When you face the temptation to sin in any area of life, what's the four-letter word response? Flee! Get the heck out of there! Don't linger! Don't play around with it! Don't think, I'm tough enough to endure this. I had a friend when I was in Arizona, and he was a recovery alcoholic. He told me one day that in the summer, I mean, Arizona is really hot in the summer, and he'd go to a, a, a bar just to get a soda. And it was a bar with scantily clad women. And I said, are you kidding yourself? You were placing yourself in a dangerous spot. He goes, oh, I'm, I'm strong in my faith, and none of this affects me and bothers me. He said, you are joking. We are human, and it's foolish for us to put ourselves in a position where we are playing with fire. You're going to get burned. And I don't know why. Sometimes us guys, we do stupid things. We really do. With cars and motorcycles and money and just all kinds of guys. I mean, you what? Just look up YouTube videos on stupid guy things, and you will find, you know... I mean, they'll put ladders on the back of pickup trucks trying to reach the air conditioner or hang out a window trying to... I mean, they just do all... Hang from the rafters trying to fix the deck. You know, all kinds of stuff they do. <laughs> that probably they shouldn't do. But guys think, I'm different. I'm the exception. I, I'm not going to get hurt. And then something happens. And, and not that women are free from doing foolish things. I'm amazed sometimes that people feel like uh, it's okay to flirt a little bit. And then that flirtation goes deeper and deeper. You find yourself caught up in an affair. Why are you playing with playing with matches and gasoline? It's just, it's just dangerous. You're going to get burned. That's why it, it doesn't say, if you face temptation, think about it. You know, gird yourself firmly. Resist. It just says, get out of there. Get out as quick as you can. You know what's interesting? I left out the word flee to find out where else it appears. It appears in the book of James. And it's very interesting. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and guess what he's going to do? Flee from you. So here's a picture. He dangles temptation in front of you. You say, I am not buying that. I, in fact, I'm not even going to think about it anymore. I'm changing the channel. I'm closing the book. I'm, I'm, I'm getting off the internet. I, I'm not going to have this conversation anymore. I'm walking away. And guess what he does? He says, I need to go find another customer. I gotta go find someone else. You flee, he flees. Pretty simple, right? You linger, he lingers. We want to win this battle with temptation. We have to make a choice to flee. But but testing is different. We persevere through testing. We don't run away from it. We press on through it. We we endure it. And that's what scripture tells us to do in James chapter one. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Why? Because the, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. You face a difficult test. You don't flee it. You press into it. You get through it. 
and there's reward at the end. You know, there's another, another interesting distinction between testing and temptation. If you were in high school and you loved that testing period like Colorado State test, you were considered weird. Okay, I'm just telling you, you are considered crazy. That's the same time of the year, the state testing, you go, what are you thinking? Nobody likes testing. You know, people hate testing. Testing's hard. You like temptation? <coughs> Temptation's fun. Temptation, ooh, that was good. And I experience it every time I want to go to the gym. Get up in the morning if I want to go to the gym. It's testing versus temptation. The, 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 the testing says, Rondi, get moving, get to the gym, get on that elliptical, lift some weights, get some sweat flowing, it's good for you. They look over on the counter and there's uh, there's some muffins. <laughs> and they look really good. And I think, I could stay home and have coffee and a muffin. <laughs> I would rather have sweets than sweat. Oh man, that looks good, it's tempting. And see, that's what sin is. Sin, sin makes it easy. It's like sin greases the slide. You want to go this way? I'll make it really easy. And over here, God says, if you want to go this way, I'm going to tell you it's going to be hard. You want to, you want to be tested and grow in your faith? It's going to be hard. Because it goes against your sinful nature. Temptation flows with your sinful nature. Walking with Christ through, through testing goes against. It, it draws something deep within you. Perseverance isn't natural. Perseverance to holiness isn't natural. It is Christ within me that compels me. And it's me wanting to win that battle that says, I'm going to do this rather than this. And so we, we fight that battle. So what is it here? Why does Jesus uh, say this prayer? Why is it translated temptation? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's our prayer because on our own, we are too weak to win the battle. This is not a prayer for the proud. It's a prayer for the weak. You know, I'm amazed. I love, I love Paul, the Apostle Paul. But when you read his own testimony of his life, I mean, this is found in Romans chapter 7. Here's what he says about himself. He says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And I want to obey God, but it is so hard. And I call this the do-do passage. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I cannot win this battle. Lord, it's too hard. Thanks be to God, he says, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, I'm weak. I will not win this on my own. And so we surrender to him and say, I need your help. And if you think you can walk in the midst of temptation, you're super spiritual and you can handle you may for a while, but it's going to knock you down. I've watched again and again men and women who gradually slid into a place in life where they compromised their faith and bought the lies of sin. We're weak. We need his help. Secondly, we go to Jesus because he understands our struggle and can't help us. He can identify 
with our sin. Listen to, to Hebrews chapter 4. It says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. He, he battled sin. He didn't give in to sin. We, though, are weak in that battle. So then, because he's victorious over it, let us approach God's throne with grace and confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And specifically referring to your battle against sin, the weakness. You have a high priest who wants to help you, who's interceding for you. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. He will help us and he will deliver us from evil. Or some of your Bibles might say from the evil one. That is his desire. That's why Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. John chapter 17, verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So we don't pray, God, keep, me, keep temptation from me. That's not the prayer. Because Jesus was tempted. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus would say to us, I couldn't keep it from me. As long as you're in a human body on this planet, you will face temptation. But remember, temptation isn't sin. Temptation is the sales pitch. Sin is the purchase. And so Jesus doesn't get rid of temptation. He comes to our aid in our weakness. It's like we're saying, Lord, I cannot win this battle on my own. Would you, would you help me be victorious? The other day I was walking with my grandson Aiden in our front yard. We have some big rocks placed on gravel. And, you know, with a kid's imagination, he says, Baba, I'm Baba, let, let, let's get up on the rocks because there's monsters down there. And we don't want to step down on the gravel because that's where the monsters will get us. So he stepped on a rock, and as he took his next step, he slipped and touched the gravel. And then he quickly got up and said, Baba, take my hand. Help me not to fall. And then we walked all on these rocks, all around the perimeter. And you know what? Not a monster got us. <laughs> you know why? Because... Baba had his hand. You know, I, I think we are like children reaching up to our father and saying, Sin, Abba, this is frightening out here. And there are landmines all over. And I don't think I can make it on my own. So you take my hand and help me not to fall, not make a bad step. I think that's the heart of this prayer. I don't want to sin. If you, if you pray this prayer... And you say, God, if you help me not to sin, that's up to you. Really what you're saying is you're intent on sinning, and God's going to have to really fight to stop it. It reminds me of the guy, the guy that was you know, struggling with his weight, and he was heading downtown, and there's a big donut shop down there. He says, Lord, uh, if you want me to have a donut... Then, then, then open up a parking place right in front of the donut shop. Okay? And if you don't want me to have a donut, let there be no parking places. He said, you know what? Seven time around the block. <laughs> Seven time around the block, a place open right in front of that donut shop. Who would have known? You know, I think sometimes, you know, I had to wrestle with this this week. I really had to say, God, is that is my prayer that I will not sin? Or am I kind of abdicating responsibility and saying, it's up to you? No, it, it doesn't work that way. You have to have a desire that says, I do not want to give in to this. I want to win this battle, and I know I can't do it on my own, and Lord, I know you'll be with me. And that's why I have to commit to take his path of deliverance. In 1 Corinthians 10, 
It says, God is faithful. He will not that you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. When you are tempted, here's how God provides deliverance. He doesn't pluck you out. He provides a path out. And you have to take it. You have to take it. Which means God says, there's a door, now flee. The question is, do you want to flee? Do you want to get out of there? Honestly, I, I think some of us feel like, God, I kind of like my habit over here. I kind of like the porn that I have. I kind of like this little affair I have on the side. I kind of like the alcohol or the, or the, the drugs, the pot that I'm smoking. I kind of like that part of my life. The other stuff, though, I want to honor you. All the other stuff, I want to honor you. I think we're playing games with it. The reason we don't say the Lord's Prayer every Sunday in this church is we would, we would create a bunch of hypocrites. Do not pray this prayer unless you mean it. It's not something you flippantly buzz through. It means you to take the path. That's why Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane to his disciples in Matthew 26, Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You have an enemy called the devil who's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And if you want to win that battle with him, you confess your weakness before him, grab a hold of his hand, and he says, Son, daughter, you run out this door, then you get out as quick as you can. But that's not our desire. Then don't pray the prayer. I want, to, I want to defeat the battle, don't you? See, it comes down to this. This whole prayer is not about us. It's about the Lord. It's all about his kingdom. He, him being king of every area of our lives. It's about his kingdom. It's all about his power. And we're relying on his power in our lives. And it's all about his glory. It's not about us and our glory. It's about his glory. And really, that's our commitment. God, it's about you and your kingdom that you reign over all, starting with me, that we will do this in your power, and it's all for your glory. And if that's the prayer, God says, that's where I'm going with this. 